Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a show about comic book movies approached from every angle and a community of nerds discussing how fiction relates to non-fiction. I'm your comic culture host, Michael Maurer, joined by the guy, David Kleppe. <laughs> what did, how did I introduce you last time? Um, it depends, because on one of them I was your legal analyst, and on one of them I was your uh, medical something. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to remember legal one. It was just like some like ludicrous legal some. It doesn't matter. Barely paralegal, you know, something weird where I was just demeaning your legal yeah. knowledge because absolutely. it's warranted. Yes, yeah. absolutely tearing me apart, which is good because we want the people to know that I'm worthless. <laughs> but <laughs> that you're that you're studying, but should be by no means considered an expert. I am David, the person that knows just a little bit more than Mike. Exactly. Carry on. Super Movie Studies Podcast is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, science, or religion. SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. Well, hello. What have we here? Are you in a bit of trouble, love? Stay back. My name is John Constantine. You're pointing that the wrong way. I promise you, I'm not the one that's hunting you. What are you talking about? Who's hunting me? It's probably more of a word or possibly an it. Stay away! Back away! Stop! (laughs) Stay away. It's easier to deny danger than to face it, but make no mistake, if you don't listen to me, you'll be dead by morning. I'm calling the police. If you're so committed to contacting the authorities, then here's where they can reach me. Oh, you can, if you enjoy breathing. Master of the Dark Arts. I'm getting new ones made. Constantine. Constantine. Season one. Season one of Constantine. Season one of one. Constantine. Constantine. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, that was a really fantastic show, though. <laughs> For real. First opinions. All right. It's just, okay. Uh, f- I'm sorry. Before first opinions. This is the weekend of Ben's wedding. Okay. We were all invited. David, you weren't invited. But no. um, the whole the whole crew was invited to, to partake. Uh, so Skylar is doing that. Um, and Ben is obviously getting married right now. And so now I have David here to as a backup. Hello, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried to be an asshole to you, I think, yes, this whole fine. show. That's uh, fine. It's a good dynamic. You might as well, because I'm probably going to be an asshole to you. <laughs> um, and, of course, this is the weekend I chose to do content that I couldn't really pull any other people from, because uh, nobody's seen this show. Uh, Grant certainly hasn't seen it. Twitter Tom hasn't seen it, as far as I know. Uh, I'm pretty sure he hasn't. I asked him to do a different topic first, and then I didn't ask him about this one, because time got short. And among our other previous guests, nobody's seen this show. And you know what? They damn well should, shouldn't they, David? They really should. They really should, Mike. 
So, David, give me some opinions on what you thought of Constantine Season 1. Um, I really enjoyed Constantine Season 1. Um, I thought that uh, not a single one of the episodes was boring or hard to stomach. Mm-hmm. And I have seen a lot of superhero shows <laughs> with episodes that are really hard to stomach and really hard to make it through. Um, and this show was just honestly exciting from start to finish. And the characters interacting with each other and their chemistry in the show was fantastic. And they made us laugh frequently and they made us pee our pants frequently. And it just was all around great. Continue. Or is that it? I mean, that's my first That's my first opinion. Okay. I completely agree. And I feel we're biased because we went through this experience together. There was no real analytic look at Constantine while we were watching it. Uh, we were just having a good time because Matt Ryan is so unbelievably good as John Constantine. I don't care who you think you are, uh, but he does a, a great portrayal of the character that we are allowed to see on TV, right? There's a lot of Constantine we're not allowed to see, but Matt Ryan just takes all the good and the bad, and he's electrifying on screen. That being said, the other actors supplement him very well. You know, I'm glad you said that about what we can and cannot see on the screen because one of my favorite things about Matt Ryan was he hinted the entire time about all the things that we were not seeing on scene that were very John Constantine and he showed us he showed us those parts of John Constantine without actually showing us those parts of John Constantine. Example being, ever since the 1970s, you are not allowed to on cable TV portray a character that smokes a lot all right and a positive character that smokes a lot criminals can smoke i think as much as they want um but like if your protagonist is a smoker you have to really limit how much of that you put on screen so there's a lot and constantine is known for being a chain smoker it's a big part of his personality or well just a very prevalent trait and there's a lot of scenes where and this is maybe a writer's decision more than matt uh, Mr. Ryan, where he's putting out cigarettes at the beginning of every scene. It's just, he's already done. He's already, he's already smoked a fag, and he's, already, and he's putting it out. Yeah, we also see him take fresh cigarettes out a lot without even lighting them. Mm-hmm. Stick them in his mouth and walk away. Yes. So that's one, one example. And then there's a lot more darker sides of Constantine that you don't really get to see because it's cable TV. <laughs> but... Uh, like I was, I was hinting to earlier is, is, is there's not a whole lot of analytic we put into this because we had a lot of just, it was 13 really fun episodes. The first couple, I disagree with how all of them are exciting. I think the first couple are a little bit draggish. They're a little supernatural storyline cliche, but it doesn't take long for this show to get its feet underneath it and to recognize that Matt Ryan is the best part of the show. Um, everybody who bounces off of him be- get, becomes better. Zed is better. Chaz is better. Like, I did not like Chaz to begin with. The actor is very bland. Um, but And his character was really hard to understand at first, too. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of context for him, and so he just was kind of there, and we didn't really know who he was or what he was doing or what's going on with this weird guy that follows John everywhere. And Yeah. And then you learn more, and you go, okay... Like, okay, he is pretty cool. He's he's a really cool dude. Uh, and, and Papa Mitten and all of the, the evil characters as well. Papa Midnight and Manny. 
Manny's a fun addition that isn't from the books, I believe. Uh, so, speaking of the books, let's get right on to that comic book section. How about it, buddy? How about it? So, uh, there's a bunch of characters that show up that are sort of minor villains, um, some demons here and there. Like the, remember the ass, the acidate? I forget the thing. The evil record was a thing. Um, yeah, I don't remember what that was called. Uh, by any means, do you know what I remember about that? Uh, sawed off, sawed off, love. <laughs> Perhaps the funniest line in the entire show. <laughs> How he's, casually he's, he's he saying says it. he's saying goodbye to someone that he holds dear, and he just casually says, "Sawed off, love," which like a coworker, which apparently means closer to f off than sawed off. So, <laughs> you know, it's just. It's it the, was it was a weird it was it was a weird moment. Uh, it's kind of like he laughed pretty good at it. It's so. kind of like they don't understand British jargon, so the writers just sort of shoehorn British phrases sometimes in the middle. And I'm like, you could just probably ask Matt, Matt Ryan. <laughs> you could ask most people, and they would tell you <laughs> "sawed off" was a poor choice. <laughs> I don't think the writers asked anyone. You could just say "goodbye, love." That's or or uh, "ciao." Even "ciao" might even work. That's more Italian, but it's it's in the same area. Uh, I think I think they were getting. They were they were going for more of a all right get out of here kind of a feel like mm-hmm. like really playful but he just said it so lovingly yeah is the thing all right love yeah sawed off <laughs> <laughs> yes um but Felix Faust makes an appearance characters like Chaz Chandler and uh, Papa Midnight I've talked about before because they appeared in the two thousand five two thousand four Constantine movie starring Keanu Reeves so I won't be addressing them on the show. But there are a few characters I want to get through. Uh, four, three, three. Yes, three. Starting with Jim Corrigan, who has some sort of guest appearances in a few episodes. Uh, premiered in More Fun Comics number 52 by Jerry Siegel and Bernard Bailey. Uh, Jim Corrigan, you should know, is the character that eventually becomes the Spectre. A uh, little history on that. First, in his first origin, the Spectre has gone through about four origin stories, all right? And all of them are very similar in theme, just the details have been modernized. Because first, he's a cop who was murdered by uh, a mob boss, and while he was in the afterlife, an archangel, uh, the, archangel, the Archangel Michael heard of his rage and disgruntlement with dying, and bonded his soul with God's Spirit of Vengeance, a.k.a. the Spectre, which is a pale ghostly figure in a green cloak. Uh, After that, he returned to Earth as a guardian angel and to smite evildoers as the Spirit of Vengeance. And they do show us the Spectre. Kind of. They showed us just for a moment. What the Spectre would look like. They showed, they showed, yeah, they showed Jim Corrigan dead. Because Jim Corrigan, even though he returns to life, he's still a dead, he's still a cadaver. He's a dead body, but he's hosting an evil spirit. Or, well, a, a vengeful spirit. And that run, that original run of books was very brief. And Jim went on hiatus in the publishing world for about 20 years after that. Because he came out in the in, in 1940, I'll have you know. Uh, I think that's even 
that's predating i can't remember if it was before or right after batman it's very close uh oh it's right after batman came out in 1939 anyway he made a small reappearance in the 60s and then came back in full force in the 1970s where jim is now a lieutenant of the nypd and they've revamped him so now he's a walking dead man with the spirit of vengeance floating around in him and they solve crimes in a buddy copish style but with much more grim fantasy related and theologically themed crimes uh also you know scorned by people so he comes back and kills people he's kind of like the crow meets ghost rider i think if you know who both of those are (laughs) there are some instances where the specter is able to separate from corrigan uh, for either an extended or limited amount of time. In one scenario, he's only able to leave Jim's body for about 24 hours, and then he has to replenish his energy by going back inside of Jim. Weird. Uh, and then he can leave again for up to another 24 hours so that they can sort of achieve more. They aren't always in the same place. It sort of gets a Johnny Thunderbolt feel, or Mr. Negative. I'm referencing a lot of DC characters that are less known than the Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> which is very helpful to our audience. Yay! There, I'm just getting nerd points at this point. Uh, at this moment in time. Point, point, redundant. Moving on. Shit gets real crazy, though. In the 2000s, when Spectre and Corrigan are separated completely, and in the storyline Infinite Crisis, the good old Wrath of God goes crazy and believes all magic should be destroyed. And he goes on a tirade, doing things like killing the elder wizard Shazam, who gave Captain Marvel his powers, or blowing up the Rock of Eternity, which I believe is a sign that the apocalypse will begin, and raising Atlantis out of the sea only to burn it to the ground. Who's the spirit of vengeance now? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because he's like, I'm going to get rid of all the magic, and then I'm going to kill myself, because magic is a plague on reality. That was, I believe, the Spectre's words. He was being manipulated because he's crazy uh, at that point. And the only way to stop him was they had to contain him and bind him to a new vessel, Crispus Allen. Also, it's really unclear the Spectre's power set. At first, he was kind of a low-end magician, firing energy bolts, going through walls, lifting things out of thin air with his mind, stuff like that. But over the years, as writers dip more into his heavenly background, he develops near omnipotence and only appears when things get real crazy in the DC universe. So yeah, that's the Spectre. Spectre's pretty cool. (laughs) I've coached David on interjections. (laughs) Hence, you should be hearing much more of them. Yes, I agree with that point, Michael. Oh, you just want to make sound bites. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> sound bites are fun. <laughs> Next character is Nurgal. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They said it a bunch in season one, and it's been a while since I've really reviewed season one. I should really hope that I'm not saying that incorrectly because he is a big character in the Constantine TV series. I believe it's Nurgal. Nurgal. Anyway, premiered in. Hellblazer number six, Jamie Delano, John Ridgway, creators of Hellblazer, 1988. 
All right, so apparently Nergal was a Babylonian god of war and pestilence who eventually got promoted to death as well. But it's classified as a demon. He is a persistent nemesis of John, having corrupted him at an early age when he was visiting Earth in human form. He gave John his first cigarette. What an asshole. (laughs) But... John always manages to outwit him, even at the start, because as well as accepting that Sig, he managed to pickpocket the whole pack as well. Way to go, John. Good life choices. (laughs) The most serious confrontation came when, as we see in the plot of the entire season, John summons Nergal to kill a smaller demon, but fails to bind him, and so the toothy bastard murders his friends and drags Astra the girl Constantine was trying to save in the first place, down to hell with him. The guilt of this drives John insane, and Nergal uses this to his advantage as he planned an assault on the gates of heaven with his hellborn army. I believe that is the rising darkness, which they were hinting at they were going to get to in season two, which isn't happening. But anyway, John, ever the crafty cheeker, manages to foil Nergal's plans by tricking him into getting torn apart by an angel while he was vulnerable. This leads to a lot of Nergal piecing himself back together again and trying to take back the throne of hell, only to have the resident crowned wearer, usually a family member, tear him apart. Time in and time out? Is that a phrase? Time and time again. One of those two. Yeah, damn it. Ugh. This happens, like, at least twice, all right? Uh, and the whole time, too, Norgal can't stop trying to fuck up John's life. Because they're nemeses. I tell you what, though. Pickpocketing a demon and smoking chains, not a good choice, John Constantine. <laughs> Finally, that brings us to Zed Martin. Ja- created in Hellblazer number 4, Jamie Delano, John Ridgway, 1988. Zed is a mage who just happened to run into Constantine in a London street. She becomes instantly smitten with him and invites him back to her place where she shows John her drawings, one of which is a portrait of John even though she had never met him before. That is a magic red flag. So, of course, Nergal sends an agent to assassinate her, but Constantine manages to convince the apparition to kill itself Read the book, guys. It's a lot of fun. Zed is then kidnapped by her father, who is a part of a cult heaven-bent in creating a new messiah by having his daughter, Zed, of course, bang an angel and create an, quote-unquote, immaculate conception. Problem is, you need a virgin for this ritual. And the night before Zed is kidnapped... She did the nasty with Constantine, who actually transferred some of his partial demon blood into her. Don't ask. Heaven was super pissed with this abomination of an offering and had angels smite the whole cult down. And then Zed later builds a life as a sorceress in Scotland. I think that's probably the best origin story that I've ever heard. (laughs) She was going to be a virgin sacrifice, but John Constantine put demon blood in her. With his dick. With his dick. Mm -hmm. And so the entire club was smitten. (laughs) 
<laughs> smitened? No, smitten would be the right word. Oh, I used smitten earlier as a way of just being really smitten with someone. Isn't that mean you adore them? I mean, it, it can, but I, it think, I think there's two meanings. Okay. Is it like. I don't know. Maybe I'm really stupid right now. That's the Twitter challenge this week. Someone Google this for us. Um, but is it like bi weekly then? So. Like how bi-weekly means both twice a week and once every other week? Yeah, I think, okay, I think to smite something is to destroy it. And I think smitten is the past tense term of to smite. Okay. So they Uh, were smitten. But I think smitten can also mean like when you put, yeah, when you put something at the front of your mind so that nothing else matters, then you are smitten with that particular thing or person usually it's it's meant person smitten with a person this is why i have you on the show david well i could be just completely wrong right now so (laughs) it doesn't matter too much but uh i sincerely hope i'm not because i'm sure that these folks out there will let me know I'm so happy we're doing an episode on this, is all I got to say. Yeah, all right? me too. I'm, I'm really happy about this. I just want people to watch Constantine. I keep talking to all my friends who are watching Arrow and Flash and Supergirl. Which and, are good shows. Which are good shows. And, you know, there's a few even watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess. But every time I say Constantine, they're like, there was a Constantine show? Oh, my goodness. It is so good. And all of those other shows, all the shows that we've mentioned so far, have... Dumb plots within episodes, oh. have terrible dialogue within episodes, have have whole episodes that you can just barely make it through. And, you know, beside, besides the uh, cliched first couple episodes of Constantine where they really drag you through the supernatural mm-hmm. kind of stuff, um, Constantine is just, it's you are constantly Ooh. at the edge of your seat biting your nails, and laughing your ass off. So <laughs> You're really hyping it up, and I'm just like, it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't know if I go that far, but it's oh, a no, must-watch. I'm, I'm being dramatic for sure. Okay. It is, it is really good. It is honestly a really good show, folks. Just the way... Okay, they, let me give you an example of one scenario. Because uh, we're assuming you're going to listen to this episode because nobody's seen this show. Uh, and you're going to listen and you haven't seen it. But... When they are fighting the apparition, the vengeance ghost, wraith, whatever you call a ghost that's trying to kill people because it's unsettled, that is on a roadway, right, that keeps uh, showing – it's a little boy that just appears in the middle of the road and you veer off the road and you crash your car and die. That's his yeah. whole purpose. Yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, how do we beat this thing? All they keep doing is just making sure – that nobody else runs into this ghost by continually driving the roads and flying through the ghost every time yeah, it shows up. They flatten the ghost. Every they single just, time. They just plow right through it. Doesn't matter. And then the ghost disappears. And then it doesn't reappear for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And so that's how they're doing it. That's how they're That's how they're like... That's how they're trying to fight this ghost until they can figure out how to permanently get rid of it. Yeah. You know, there's there was also that ghost. I think it was in New Orleans... When Chaz was trying to fight this ghost that was asking if she was pretty or something like same that. Same episode. Oh, that it's the same episode? Yeah, because Zed and Corrigan are driving and Chad's out fighting the other ghost. Yeah, that's correct. That, that's right. Um, uh, and it's so funny because he's he's trying all these really weird things. Like he's just throwing crappy pickup lines at her and stuff like that to get her to accept that maybe 
Like, he's, he's answering the question. Yeah. Do you think I'm pretty? And it doesn't matter how you answer her, she's going to kill you. But, you know, it's Chaz, so... Yeah. He, he comes it back. It doesn't really matter when she kills him, and then... Mm-hmm. F- I think there's there's even a couple funny spots where, like, paramedics are trying to revive him or something, and he just <laughs> hops up, and he's like, all right, thanks, folks, and then walks away. <laughs> <laughs> but then, and then he finally turns around and asks her a question back. Yeah. And it just it just blows her mind so much. <laughs> it halts the ghost in its tracks, and that's yeah. hilarious. Do you think I'm pretty? Do you think you're pretty? <laughs> she just looks at him. <laughs> I don't know anymore, Chaz. Yeah, it's just like, and then tell I, me what to feel. Yeah, <laughs> I think she asks again. Do you think I'm pretty? Do you think it's weird I've taken this long to ask you a question? <laughs> yeah, it's just good that's stuff. A, actually. That's a good point too, because one one of the best things about this show is how often they self deprecate <laughs> and yep. and pretty much say right to the audience, "Yep, we were stupid for the first fifteen minutes of this episode, <laughs> but here we go now. <laughs> we had to make this forty minutes long. Okay, yeah. just bear with us. It's a learning process, and and we were willing to learn with them, but as soon as they learned, they're like, "Oh gosh, I that's so stupid. <laughs> Can you believe how long it took me?" To ask you a question. Because <laughs> I can't, writers. <laughs> Stares right through the camera into our souls. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to the music section. No Skylar here, but I do have a clip uh, that um, I'm going to play in its fullness, about four minutes long. Posted by Bear McCreary, composer for the Constantine television show, where he literally discusses his thought processes in composing the music as well as playing some samples for us. So it's kind of like getting a better Skylar for (laughs) don't, don't let Skylar listen to this episode. (laughs) He won't. I guarantee it. So let's just take a moment, sit back, listen in. You can find this episode. You can find this on YouTube and I'm not plagiarizing because it is by bear McCreary posted on his official YouTube page. Um, it's only got about 13,000 views, so you probably haven't seen it. And just be informed that we're doing a music section. Here we go. Constantine has always been one of my favorite comic book characters. There's something so interesting and unique about him. He's not a hero. He's not an anti-hero. He just seems to exist in his own world. When David S. Goyer called me to write music for the television series about this character, I immediately started thinking about what the music should be. Is it heroic music? Is it is it funny? Is it quirky? Is it scary? I think the answer is a little bit of everything. It's all of the above. First and foremost, Constantine is a horror show. So I knew right away that the score would need to reflect that. (laughs) 
So I pulled together some elements and combined them with my horror writing and tried to see if I could make them work. Elements that would normally not go together. The first thing I think you'll notice is this drum programming that feels like it came from 1989 or 1990. If that isn't weird enough, then I threw in a harpsichord. The harpsichord doesn't belong with hip-hop loops that are heavily distorted and a string orchestra. And in the same way, Constantine doesn't really belong in the real world walking around on the street. He's an oddity. And I thought it'd be neat to represent that musically, to have one instrument that just doesn't fit. It just sounds weird. There are moments when he's vulnerable, and these are the moments that I think my score really steps up to the plate and helps inform the audience what's going on. Rhea Yarbrough's ethereal vocal, the warmer string writing, that's the way to get inside John's emotional state. That's when his defenses come down. As a longtime fan of the comics, I think I can safely say you guys are going to really love this show. So check out Constantine Fridays on NBC. Do you like the music of Constantine, David? I do enjoy the music of Constantine. I think it is adequately exciting and uh, kind of tense. That that harpsichord theme going through there has just enough of oh. a just enough of a weird to it that it makes you kind of like, "Ooh, what is this music?" It actually the music reminds me a lot of the music to Daredevil. Oh, the Daredevil TV series. Yeah, the Daredevil TV series. They don't use harpsichord, but didn't, it did, does have a very driving boom, 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 boom background to it and mm-hmm. uh, with a, a little bit of melody over the top. Uh, this is, I think this song, though, this theme to Constantine has a little bit more tension in it. That's what the harpsichord is giving to me. But It gets me amped. Yeah. It really gets me excited. Yeah. The, the, every time I hear that, honest, Bear McCreary, uh, you, you nailed it with the use of the harpsichord. That's really the element that does it. It, it, everything else is great. Dun, 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 dun. And if you don't know who Bear McCreary is, uh, of course, the composer of Constantine, but also famous for his work on The Walking Dead, little known project, uh, and among other properties, <laughs> dude's got, like him and Blake Neely have that sector locked down. Nerd TV composing, he's got it. Uh, but yeah, I could, oh, I could listen to that music for days, man. That's good stuff. And I like how when Constantine reappeared in Arrow, that they brought back the theme for every time he was kind of on screen. Or no, in that introductory shot, they started playing the harpsichord theme underneath it all. And I was just like, yeah. They like they like combined the two mm-hmm. songs, the two themes, to really blow us out of the water. That was actually. <laughs> 
uh, I'm sure you guys haven't done the Arrow season four, four no. episode yet by any means, but um, if you are watching Arrow season four, the Constantine crossover is a very good episode. Yes. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought they did a lot of justice to Constantine's character, and they they really did a, a wonderful storyline for that show. But I won't say more than that because I don't want you all to know that Sarah dies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Edit that out. <laughs> she literally dies in episode one of Arrow, right? And is played by a different actress in that, yeah. in that case. So I don't think it's much of a secret. Um, and then she's she comes back and dies again and comes back and does again and just get used and to then the comes back and care. doesn't have a soul and Constantine has to get her a soul. Oh well, I'm gonna edit then, that part out. Yeah, that's okay. what you're gonna edit out. Shut up, you fuck. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's your turn Yo, to talk. Fuck. It's your turn to talk. If you don't know about David, ladies and gentlemen, we have had him on before as a legal uh, topic connoisseur, for he is a pre-law student. We also had him on as for medical conversations because he is a licensed EMT. And another thing you should know about David is he's also a musician. Ladies, please put your panties back up, okay? I know they're very wet and heavy right now and will just fall right down, but... That um, was probably the grossest way you could have said that. <laughs> I'm a fucking... Your, your panties are heavy. <laughs> With the moisture from hearing David's voice. <laughs> and his many accomplishments and yes. his high eligibility. And uh, other thing as well, you are a, I don't know how the right adjective here, practiced, well-versed theologian? Uh, you could say, you could say probably well-versed might be the best. Uh, growing up, my father's a pastor. He still is to this day. Um, so in my family, we all, uh, we all were uh, instructed uh, in a pretty specific uh, faith, mm-hmm. but at, at the but end of the day, it it. All, that's the yeah, thing. I've I've kept with it. Um, it's one of the biggest parts of my life is my faith, which to me is a good thing, mm-hmm. and to a lot of people is a good thing, and to some people, uh, that's not how they want to. That, that's not how they want to live their life, and that's certainly fine. But it has given me some unique perspectives. So when I was watching this show, there were a lot of things that were very. Uh, Based around uh, religion, especially Christianity, in this show, a lot of Judeo-Christian um, mythology, a lot. Um, and I, I kept a pretty keen eye on that stuff. Just watching it, I wasn't, I certainly wasn't analyzing the theology of the show because mm-hmm. I was not expecting theology out of the show. Yeah, and, and I did not get much theology out of the show, which yeah. is absolutely fine because I'm sure they didn't want to put too much theology in the yeah. show. Uh, but, um. I'm by no means an expert on the topic, as I'm pretty much not an expert on any topic. But, but there was like a point in your life where you were going to like five Bible studies a week, right? Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, still to this day, at least three days a week, I'm, I'm in Bible studies, mm-hmm. a large group. And Bible, well, you class, live in like a that. church right I now. I live at a church. Right you know, it's, it is a very big part of my life. And it's something that I enjoy studying and talking about. So, mm-hmm. so we're uh, going to... Put it into the context yep. of Constantine. Yep. So uh, there's there's one uh, section from the book of Matthew, which for those of you who don't know, Matthew is a book in the New Testament. 
which is the Chronicles of Jesus' life and after Jesus. And Matthew was written by the Apostle Matthew, who was one of the 12 disciples who walked around with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So this is basically a firsthand, it's not basically, it is a firsthand account Mm -hmm. of what happened. Uh, The only difference comes in uh, that it was obviously written in Hebrew at the time. And so we have many translations of the text. (laughs) Yes. And uh, so sometimes the translations, you don't really know what's what's going on there and stuff like that. The transit, the translation I've chosen just because of how fun it is to read mm-hmm. is King James version. Um, the Bible verse is Matthew 17 and we're going to start at 15 and go through verse 20. So if you want to, this is about exorcism. Yep. This is going to be about exorcism specifically, but it touches on a little bit of demonic possession. Okay. And, the. Uh, good versus evil kind of powers when it comes to supernatural stuff. But here we go. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart, and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Move hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Okay, so there's there's a heck of a lot going on there, folks. A lot of stuff to think about. So the devil is in a kid. Um, it's it's a demon. It's a demon. Uh, the the Hebrew for devil and demon are pretty much the same thing, and they get okay. kind of cross uh, translated a lot of times. Devil is a word that we now use for Satan specifically mm-hmm. as the you know the head honcho. It used and to be like devil at the time. At the time, uh, none of them would have referred to. Satan as a devil or a demon, they would have referred to him as, you know, the Lord of Darkness or the Prince of Darkness or the something. Fallen? Uh, the Fallen? Uh, yeah, he is described as the Fallen, I think, a couple times in here. But um, So it's it's just it's just your run-of-the-mill demon. Uh, <laughs> run-of-the-mill demon. Yep. Now, if, if you put a lot of stock into faith and into the, the Christian faith or the Bible especially— um, there are there are many times that Jesus and others have cast out demons mm-hmm. in the Bible, which would give us thought, uh, or it would give us clue that there are probably demons still today, and there are demons or supernatural things in the world. Mm-hmm. Whether they are what Constantine portrays as demons or not is, you know, I don't think, unless we've seen one or felt one firsthand, that we can have any idea what, what that is like. But I think... Um, anyone who thinks that the entirety of the world can be explained and understood by us, mm-hmm. um, they probably are a little bit overconfident. Because <laughs> I think there just are a lot of things that happen in this world that are a little bit out of our understanding. And that's okay to me. So in the end, the, the gist of the story was they're like, there's something wrong with this kid. Jesus touches him, releases the devil, is out. The disciples are like, why couldn't we do that? Why is it that you have to do that? And he's like, because you lack faith. They didn't have the faith to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, but all he did was touch the kid, right? No special ritual. Well, it says Jesus rebuked the devil, so... Oh, it could imply I mean, anything. Yeah, he 
he just told it to GTFO. Yeah, because the famous thoughts we have with exorcism are from the film Exorcist, correct? Yes. That's what correct. modern people think of an exorcism as. Yes. Is a lot of Latin chanting, tying down, writhing individual. Um, the, the, the person with the devil inside of them is manic, frothy, uh, uh, vomity even, and moving things with their mind maybe, <laughs> uh, while uh, a priest is throwing water on them and chanting something in Hebrew or Latin until yeah. the devil is gone. Yeah, absolutely, which I don't think is um I don't I don't think that that's very accurate to what mm-hmm. this story is telling us cuz all it says is Jesus re- rebuked the devil. And there are a couple other times where he rebukes demons and all he really does is say get on out there now and <laughs> and the demons all leave. They all they all uh, oh, Jesus got power me again. In, in these stories. So, <laughs> Jesus just wags so I think, them. So I think when it says here, Jesus rebuked the devil, it probably wasn't some super extravagant ceremony that he took this child through. It probably was simply get on out there now and then out the demon went. Because his faith is just too overwhelming. Yes, Jesus, Jesus' power was far too strong for the demon. Okay. Now, do you have any other topics? Well, this story I wanted to bring up to you guys okay. uh, because it talks about how the disciples were unable to get rid of a demon. They were unable to cast out the demon. And these disciples are the 12 people that were the closest to Jesus in the entire world. They studied with mm-hmm. him and traveled with him. Um, they became the the foundation for the Christian church. you know. And these guys, they didn't even have the the faith to cast out a demon. So that would that would tell me, and again, I don't look too much into Constantine for theology, but that would tell me that Constantine probably is a very, very intelligent, well-versed person when it comes to um, the Bible. And yeah. uh, he obviously has a very high level of faith in order to be able to cast out the demons with the seeming ease that he can cast demons out. I feel as if as soon as you learn that angels and demons are real, you're going to go to the number one source book on angels and demons, right? Absolutely. It's probably the oldest or one of the oldest texts that is still accessible to us. Yeah. That touches on the subject of uh, demons and angels. Mm -hmm. More than touches on, gets pretty deep into the subject of. Okay. Does Mm -hmm. it describe what angels would look like? Well... Kind of, kind of not. Yeah. Uh, are they winged humanoids? Yeah, they are winged. There are several kinds of of angels. Cherubim and seraphim are, you know, like basically mega angels. Oh, okay. You know, because <laughs> I like that description. Because they are they are described as larger and they have more wings, um, and they're the ones that guard the throne mm-hmm. uh, in heaven. Things like that. Archangels so, are at the top. Archangels would be like the the five star generals yep. of the angel army. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although they don't they don't strictly have a military purpose. For instance, Gabriel is the messenger. But I mean, are they the the the, the seraphim? Bunch of wings, yeah, right? Bunch of wings. Are they hu- um, humanoid in shape? Do we yes, have any description uh, of them? Yes, they are described as looking like neither man nor woman. Okay. But they look like humans. 
So they, oh. so we're led to believe that they have no uh, gender identity. Okay. Yeah. I totally, I totally neglected this point in the Constantine movie. Yeah. Of Gabriel is um, a big t- played by Tilda Swinton. Yeah. And it's purposely done to make Tilda look very androgynous. Yes. Neither mannish or womanish in style. And I don't, and I'm like, because I'm like, Gabriel is a guy, right? You instantly think Gabriel is a male angel yes. uh, in your head. You, you draw that assumption because Gabriel is a man's name. But in um, description, you come to learn that it's just a name. Gabriel is an angel. He yes. has no, he, she has no sex. This is this is another thing that I think is probably a little bit out of our comprehension mm-hmm. because a lot of times in the Bible, uh, Lucifer, for instance, he was an angel the same way Gabriel was. He was one of the archangels uh, before he fell. And uh, he is described with he pronouns, male pronouns, mm. his, uh, he, him, things like that. So that would lead us to believe that he's male, but of course we're told that angels... Uh, are not sexual beings. They don't have mm-hmm. gender. They don't have, uh, you know, ding dongs or hoo hoos or hoo hoos. So JJ's. Um, so <laughs> keep that's, it PG. That's a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit hard to get a grasp on whether you know Gabriel and Michael and all the other angels are men or women because mm-hmm. they're not. They're angels. Okay. Um, but they are described as uh, they look like humans. Which would make sense because if God created humans in his own image and then he created angels to be his servants in heaven, he probably would be creating them in his own image as well. Sure. Which Um, would mean they are similar. Unless he had two completely different ideas and he was like, well, (laughs) let's put one of these down there and let's put one of these up here and give them wings. Okay. So we're just not sure. Did you have another topic or all good? Um. I did also want to mention that I would say angels are probably frightening when they appear just because the first thing they always say is do not be afraid. <laughs> they do when every instance of them every, appearing. Yeah, I think every every instance that an angel appears to tell to give someone news or speak to them, the first thing they say is do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. <laughs> angels are nice. <laughs> Um, unless you're watching Supernatural, in which case angels are dicks. They can be total assholes in that show, yes. <laughs> and actually, and if I remember correctly, yeah. in Constantine they were assholes a couple times too. Yeah, so. very deceptive. All right, uh, we're going to move right to quick, sh- quick, a little bit of uh, fun facts about the show. Um, a little bit more background on why Constantine failed, stuff like that, and then we'll wrap it up today because we're getting a little dragged. Long-winded. Yes, so Constantine failed... Because it was too experimental of a show uh, and did not get the ratings it needed to stay on NBC. This is the same fate as the CBS Supergirl show, which got moved to CW. But Michael, why didn't Constantine get moved to a different network then? If it was easy for Supergirl to do it, a multitude of reasons. But a couple big ones that we know of include... Um, CBS owns the CW, so therefore legal rights and transfers of characters would have been much smoother than transitioning an entire list of NBC-owned TV characters to someplace like the CW, who was looking to buy it, or Sci-Fi, who was also looking to buy it at the time. Also, the CW is still, for some stupid reason, 
airing Supernatural. <laughs> I like Supernatural, okay? But that show needs to be done. It's on like its 12th or 13th season. It's gone too far. And with Supernatural and Constantine being two shows of the same themes and content, CW would have decided that housing both would auto-cannibalize their ratings. So therefore, they're going with the one they don't have to pay as much money for, which would be Supernatural. And I don't know why sci-fi wouldn't say sci-fi might not have as much money to just sort of pick up that project and keep going with it. Um, Especially if it didn't have the ratings to support it. Exactly. Then That too. It's, it's all a numbers game. It's got a loud fan base, but you know, a lot of things have loud fan bases. Doesn't mean Donald that, Trump. Yeah. Doesn't mean there's a lot of them. Um, just means that they talk. <clears throat> As I said, there's indeed a, a regiment fan base for Matt Ryan's portrayal of John Constantine, though. Hence, his guest appearances on Arrow Season 4, as we mentioned, and his voicing of the character in the DC animated movie Justice League Dark. So perhaps, a hope might not be lost to see more of the Constantine world in the future. I'm really hoping that they take advantage of Matt Ryan and the character, Mm -hmm. and they either... Put him into shows like Flash and Arrow more often. And make him a character of DC Legends him, of Tomorrow, let right? Let him be a character. Otherwise, make a movie out of him. Ooh. Make a decent movie because DC, your movie's not on point yet. Yeah. And if you could give us a good Matt Ryan movie, you know. I don't, nobody would I probably go see that. That's a thing. Well, people would go see it after the first round of people see it and say, hey, Holy cats, everyone. Go see that movie. <laughs> yeah. This guy is cray. <laughs> He's, well, and not many people are familiar with Constantine, so they can't really judge how good of a performance it is. But just, if even if you aren't familiar, it's still a very entertaining performance. Did you do Suicide Squad yet? Yes. Yeah. Um, Suicide Squad is another example of this because Margot Robbie, she portrayed Harley Quinn very well in that movie. She was pretty much the best thing in that movie. In my opinion. Oh, yes. And that's, that's because of that, mm-hmm. because of her portrayal of, of Harley Quinn, they have now greenlit a Harley Quinn standalone film. Yeah. And that's mostly and the popularity were, of Harley Quinn, yep, too. And if they were able to show the world what Matt Ryan can do with a John Constantine script, mm. I think it would be just as as successful as the Harley Quinn movie will be. He's just got to get more star power. Or maybe that's not a thing. It's any number of reasons. We're not here to actually pretend to know what's going on. All we can say is that we're fans. Yes. I want more Constantine. I will consume more Constantine. If you make it, I will see it, and I will tell people about it. That is all I can say. Uh, So ignore everything you just heard in this entire episode. (laughs) We're going to edit out about 95% of what's been said here. So So that looks like it's going to wrap it up today, super fans. Uh, Super Movie Studies is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions. Talk about the iTunes stuff. Oh, my God. Don't be literal about... <laughs> okay. I- I'm literally just reading... What do you want me to say about the iTunes stuff? Did that. Those very small things. You see? We, ha- we have iTunes stuff, everyone. It's uh, The episodes come out on iTunes. The episodes come out on iTunes. Rate them. Subscribe to them. Every Monday. Come on, everyone. <laughs> We're all in this together. (laughs) Oh, you cheeky fuck. All right. And uh, you can also go to the Twitter account, Twitter, Twitter, Tom, Twitter, Tom, Twitter, Tom. We'll have him back on the show soon. Okay. 
I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's been way too long. That's at Super M Studies. M with as in the letter M. Super M Studies Twitter challenge of the week. Uh, what DC character that is involved on television? So like in the Arrowverse, would you like to see John Constantine teamed up? Team up with? So he's teamed up with Arrow. But I don't think I think it'd be really sick to see him team up with like Adam, right? Mm, that would be fun. Brandon Routh and Matt Palmer just duking it out, or in quitty whips, witty quips, or John Wesley Ship. Whoo! John Wesley Ship disappears magically, <gasps> and John Constantine finds him, mm. and then the two of them are trying to find their way back to <gasps> modern day. Whatever, out of yeah. somewhere. Who knows? Just like Maybe a- John Wesley Ships ends up on Lian Yu, like oh. fucking everyone else. Oh, <laughs> the Arrow Island, where everyone goes. Yes. This is the island that we just use as a base setting for every story that we don't really want to explain or talk about very much. John can- then John Constantine ends yeah. up on Lian Yu. Absolutely, he did. <laughs> John Constantine and Deathstroke. Mm, bring back Menu Bennett. Yes. Oh, yes. That would be good. All right. Uh, so tell us what you think, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think would be your favorite team up? Hashtag Constantine. Constant teams. Constant team ups. Yes. Constant team ups. You got that? C O S T E N T E A M U P S. Hashtag that. Shit. <laughs> send it to us. <laughs> or just hashtag it whatever you want and send it to us either way. Yeah. Uh, and um, if you want to contact us, be on the show. Do you want to... I know we mentioned Walking Dead. You may not know that Walking Dead is a comic book uh, property. And if you're a big Walking Dead fan, I'm just giving you an example, okay? It's not on the docket for us to do any sort of Walking Dead episode. But if you were to come on uh, and say, hey, if you send us an email... At supermoviestudies at triopcop.com saying, hey, I've got a good idea for a good 10-minute bit on something on The Walking Dead. I would certainly set that up, and I would want you to be on the show for show. Just we're an idea. All, we're all in this together. Oh, shut up. That'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. David Kleppy. And I hope you all have a super week. Ding. Thank ding, you. Ding. And song, Cole.